All right, now we looked last time at the first four verses. It's not like we haven't heard the name Joseph before, but now he's a teenager, so we're picking up the story of, of Joseph, and, and that will carry us through the end of the book. Uh, Joseph is a teenager. Uh, he is a, at least a part-time shepherd with his, with his brothers. He brings a bad report, if you remember, on, um, on three of the brothers, Dan, Naphtali, uh, four of the brothers, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And there's probably daily tension and no love lost between Joseph and his brothers. And they now look on him as a tattler uh, because he went and, and gave a bad report to their father on their behavior. So he's the son of Rachel and uh, just a lot of tension there. He has the robe, the robe of, we say the robe of many colors, uh, the ornate robe with the long sleeves, very, very nice. And the other brothers are jealous. The favoritism is obvious. And the brothers of Joseph hate him and could not even bring themselves to have a civil conversation with him. Hmm, that sounds familiar. Like Washington, D.C. <laughs> Things never change. I don't know. Okay, so we're to verse 5 of chapter 37. And we're going to read verses 5 through 11 and uh, then spend a few minutes looking at it. So are you ready? Here we go. Genesis 37, 5. Now, just let your eyes look back up to verse 4. Almost, almost to the end of the verse, you see the word H-A-T-E-D. Hated. His brothers hated him. Could not speak a kind word to him. So here we go. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out of the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Okay, Joey. <laughs> You know that's going to go over well, don't you? So his brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? Boy, they didn't know the half of it, did they? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father, as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Would your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Okay, let's, let's look at those verses. So Joseph has a dream. It's so real that he feels compelled to tell it. And it caused more hatred. The meaning is obvious. My brothers are going to bow down to me. I'm going to rule over you. Now, when we come to verse 8, and it says they hated him, that is the third time that we find those words, 
verse 4, verse 5, and verse 8 all say that his brothers hated him. So what that means is there is an escalating degree of hatred on the part of the brothers toward Joseph. Now, they are looking at him as pompous, arrogant, a dreamer, and daddy's favorite. And so they are very, very unhappy with him. And in the second dream, don't miss the significance now of this, because dreams in Joseph's narrative, in the story of Joseph, dreams come in pairs and indicating the certainty of their fulfillment. Genesis 41, 32. Listen as I read that or turn a couple of pages and read it yourself. Genesis 41, 32. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. So we already know this because we've read the text before, maybe many times. But who is in control of the dreams? Where does the dream where do the dreams come from? They come from God. And it is God who is saying this will come to pass. It is an absolute certainty. Now, the matter has been sealed by God. This dream, the second one, is grander than the first one because this time mom and dad are involved. Jacob and the late Rachel will bow down to Jacob. This will come to pass. This draws the rebuke of Jacob. He rebukes his son. No hatred, just a rebuke. But what does Jacob then do? He ponders all this. He thinks about it. Jacob is continuing to grow in God. We've, with fascination, traced his life and journey and watched him grow and mature in God. He knows the meaning of a pair of dreams in Hebrew thinking. And he is pondering and thinking about all this, perhaps trying to get his mind and his heart and his arms around what this means. And Jacob thinks about it and reflects upon it because he is beginning to think that indeed he knows what this dream is going to mean in some shape, form, or fashion. Now, the brothers, after this second dream, are ominously silent. Dad speaks and rebukes Joseph, but we don't see the brothers saying anything to him except it relates to us their jealousy. But don't think that the brothers are steaming about this and don't think that it isn't festering in their soul because it is and we are just about to see the result of their festering intense hatred of, of their brother. Now, God is working 
Don't miss, we've seen it from Genesis 1 to now, how God works. He's working in all of this. There is a greater purpose that the brothers and even Jacob himself cannot fully grasp. But we know that God is at work. And the dreams are his dreams given to Joseph. Now we come to verse 12. And we're going to see Joseph sold into slavery. So first verses 12 to 17. Joseph is sent out to his brothers. So let's look at verse 12 of chapter 37. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem. Remember Shechem? And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. And we get a little bit of a shudder thinking about it. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. So let's stop there for a minute. Joseph is sent to his brothers. They are 50 miles north of Hebron. That's a five day journey uh, for a man on foot far enough away that Jacob is concerned that he hasn't heard from the boys and he's a bit worried about it so he's going to send Joseph and our initial thought is that's unwise sending Joseph with his coat on to check on his Brothers, now perhaps to Jacob, we only can make conjecture here, but perhaps to Jacob, the boy's hatred has uh, been tempered a bit. Maybe it has subsided with the passing of a little bit of time. Maybe they haven't said anything ugly in the hearing of Jacob lately. And so he interprets this to mean the boys have kind of settled down. They're not as mad at Joseph as they once were. Now, I'm merely making a conjecture there, but I have to think it was something like that in order for Jacob to think it's okay to send Joseph by himself out to check on the brothers. I don't think he would have done that the day after the second dream. So... Jacob makes his decision. He apparently sees no reason to fear. And he, uh, and furthermore, he trusts Joseph. And I think that has a lot to do with why he sends Joseph out. He's concerned about the boys and what's going on. And so he sends Joseph because he knows he can trust Joseph. Joseph will come back and give him an accurate report. Or so he thought. So Joseph goes, 
It's a long journey. He searches. He, he, is, he is a well-dressed Hebrew young man alone roaming in Canaanite territory. So the whole thing at this point begins to look a little unwise. But don't forget, God's in control. Joseph is directed then to Dothan, which would have been another 14 miles away. So now Joseph is going to travel a total of 64 miles from home. Not too bad if you're driving your car, but a long way if you're walking. So Joseph is go has gone 64 miles to the area of Dothan to find his brothers. And so we sense, if we had not read the story before, we sense something big is going to come of this. And it does. So let's look at verse 18 as we find Joseph abused by his brothers. Look at verse 18. But they saw him in the distance. They probably recognized the gate, his, his walk. But there was something that was unmistakable. The coat, the beautiful, beautiful coat. They saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. So Jacob was wrong in his feelings about how the brothers felt about Joseph. Their hatred had not subsided at all. They had just been wise enough to keep their mouths shut in front of their, in front of their father. So they are plotting killing. And here's what they say, verse 19. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. This, there's, you can see the vindictiveness rolling off their lips. Now, this is not a crime of passion. This is a crime of premeditation. They have plenty of time to think about it. They see him coming. And, and if you think this is the first conversation they have had with each other about Joseph since they left home, I have some beachfront property in Nebraska that I would like to sell you. I have a feeling they have talked about it every day. Such is the intensity of their hatred for Joseph. So one of the brothers said, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard that, Reuben is the eldest, remember, the firstborn. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. So let's stop there. Nine of the brothers are present. Uh, Benjamin is too young 
There is thought that Reuben may not have been there immediately, but came back later and heard of the plan. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to say 10 of the brothers were there. I, I, I think later in the text, Reuben is gone. But right here, I think he's there. They see Joseph coming and murderous rage boils over. So likely they had talked frequently among themselves concerning Joseph. It would not surprise me if around the campfire in the evening one of them said, if he just showed up here, I would strangle him with my bare hands. Something like that. They're going to kill him. And they're going to throw him into a, a cistern. And this is the height of indignity and horror what they are about to do to their brother. They go, are they going to beat him to death? Or will Simeon and Levi cut his throat? You remember Simeon and Levi had apparently are adept with a knife. Remember the, the Shechemite nails? Okay, so who's going to do the deed? Uh, we don't know because it doesn't happen. But Reuben, as the eldest, speaks up. Now, did he speak up because he loved Joseph? Um, again, the text doesn't say, so I'm just making a guess. It's no better or worse than your guess. I think it's self-protection. Reuben is already in the doghouse, remember? With his father Jacob over the sexual enticement of Billah. He will, as the eldest son, be held responsible by his father if they kill Joseph. Reuben knows that. So he says, let's throw him in the cistern, but don't kill him. Because his intent is to return and rescue Joseph. Now, the Hebrew language here used by the eldest son, Reuben, does not, uh, is not a suggestion. Reuben is not saying, hey, let's think about this, fellas. It is a, it, the, the words are forceful and decisive. Reuben is saying, this is what we're going to do. And I'm the eldest brother, and that's what we're going to do. And it's what they did. So they rip off his clothes and they throw him into the waterless cistern. Now, we don't get a lot of detail about their manhandling of Joseph, but I believe they hurt him. I believe they drew blood. I don't think that they just simply said, hey, Joey, let's take your coat off. I think they clawed at him. I think they hit him. They may have kicked him. I think they, they hurt him. The word stripped him is a term used of skinning an animal. Same term. So I, I, they skinned him of his clothes at the very least. And I cannot picture that occurring without some physical pain inflicted by the angry brothers on Joseph. So into the cistern he goes without any clothes on. And it, it is a waterless cistern. Thank the Lord for that. But the intent of the brothers, except for Reuben, is that that's that. He'll eventually rot in this cistern. Now, let's go to verse 25. As they sat down to eat. Now, 
Can you get much more brutal and cold-hearted than that? I mean, they're brothers down the cistern, and they sit down, they're going to have a meal. They sat down to eat, and they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Which is what they were doing. They weren't going to stab him to death, but just leave him in the cistern. So come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. And not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. So, when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Now, let me jump forward for a moment to chapter 42, verse 21, and, and, and read that verse. Now, this is when the brothers, Joseph has revealed himself, or Joseph is in Egypt, and the brothers, you know, all this is going to go on there, so we'll get there shortly. But the brothers are talking, and they say among themselves, surely we are being punished because of our brother. See, they're down in Egypt, and um, they're in all kinds of hot water. And so they said, we're being punished because of our brother, we saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life. But we would not listen. And that's why this distress has come on us. Now, he begged and they ate. Probably just feet away. They can hear the cries of their brother. Maybe he calls out their names. Reuben, Dan, Gad, Naphtali, please, please. It's pitiful. Now, did they mock him? Or did they remain silent? Again, we can't know. But on the basis of what I've read to this point, I'm thinking that there was some mockery, at least from some of the brothers. Then here come the Ishmaelites. Coincidence? Now remember who's in charge. God's in control. So the Ishmaelites come by, and Judah has a better idea. How magnanimous of him. So he says, let's sell him, and we will be innocent of his blood. We'll never see him again. Now, again, we think all kinds of questions. Judah, was he really wanting some money? I mean, you know, you don't get a whole lot richer, relatively speaking, than Jacob's family already was. So was it really money that he wanted? Or was he in his heart under some kind of conviction that caused him to want to avoid fratricide? Again, the, the scripture doesn't say. However, we do know, beginning at this point, Judah begins to become more prominent among among the brothers. And what do we know about Judah eventually? Through the seed of Judah comes the Messiah. Okay? 
which Jacob will state later. We'll, we'll get there. Now, this time, Reuben is definitely absent. He's not here. Now, as the eldest, he was probably responsible for supplies and getting things. So I'm guessing Reuben had gone to the nearest village to gather supplies for them to, to continue uh, their caring for the sheep and to get, begin to head back home so they could tell Dad something happened to Joseph. So the brothers sell Joseph, and off he goes to Egypt, as we know God's in control. Now, Reuben returns alone later, and here's a key to the thinking of Judah. I think puts a lot of, of, of new light on, on our feeling about this. Um, You look at verse 29. I haven't read that yet. I'll get there. Look at, go ahead and look at verse 29 of, of, of verse of chapter 37. When Reuben returned to the cistern. See, the brothers are gone. Reuben's gone. He doesn't know the brother's been sold. He returns. He's going to pull Joseph out of the cistern. I don't know how far ahead Reuben had thought. When I take Joseph back home, what then? With all the brothers, I, I don't know. Fascinating to think about. But when Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, what did he do? He tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? What am I? That's another way of saying, What am I going to do? Now, Tearing of the clothes, the rending of one's garments is a, is a genuine expression of Hebrew grief. So this was not a, an act on Joseph's, of Judah's part. He was in grief when he saw that Joseph wasn't there. He tore his clothes. You know, I've read about that in the scripture all my life as, as you have. I don't know which trip to Israel. I know it was within the last year or two that this happened. But uh, we went to, we just got into the city of Jerusalem. We went to Mount Scopus to look down over the city and see the beautiful old city. It's a traditional thing to do. We were late in the afternoon. There was nobody there, which is very unusual, except for one man. There was one Jewish man who was there standing by the wall looking down at the city, standing next to a concrete wall looking down at the city. And he was wailing and crying and tearing his clothes and throwing dust up in the air. And I said to our guide, do you know what he's saying? He's speaking Hebrew. So the guide listened for a minute. He said, yes, his wife has just died and he is in mourning. So I thought, wow, I, I'm seeing before my very eyes what I've read in the scripture all my life. And that's what Judah did. He tore his clothes and he was in grief and, and horrified because he at this point did not know what had happened to Joseph. But he was certainly assuming the worst. So um, the brothers tell him what they've done. So... Um, what are they going to do now? Well, they're going to make up a story. They, 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 they keep the robe. 
and they make it look like the work of a wild animal that had killed Joseph. So now we're going to get to verse 29 and read the rest of the chapter in a second. But, but I want you to picture Joseph. Okay, Joseph, forget the brothers for a moment. Joseph is with the Ishmaelites on the way to Egypt. He left home six, seven days earlier wearing a beautiful robe in the position of his father's favorite. Now he is likely naked, certainly tied up and headed to Egypt to become a slave. And that's what's happened to Joseph in just one week. Now, look at verse 29 again. Reuben returned to the sister and saw Joseph was there, tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers. The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. You know, <laughs> I'm not being flippant. I just remember my mother always said, be sure your sins will find you out. And that's in the Bible. And, and so... She was always right. The boys are doing this and they think we'll pull this off. Dad will never know. I mean, our brother's in Egypt. Dad's never going to Egypt. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're never going to Egypt. Joseph will never get out of Egypt. He'll be a slave there for the rest of his life. We're going to get away with this. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. You know, their feelings about Joseph, they can't hide it. They didn't. If you found something like that that was your brother's and you took it to your father, what would you say? Is this my brother's robe? Nope, they didn't say that. They said, Is this your son's robe? robe he recognized it Jacob recognized it and said it is my son's robe some ferocious animal has devoured him Joseph has surely been torn to pieces maybe the brothers are looking at each other saying Whoo, got away with that one then Jacob tore his clothes put on sackcloth and mourned for his son many days all his sons and daughters came to comfort him but he refused to be comforted no, he said, I will continue to mourn until I join my son in the grave. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. Oh, this is really getting good. I'm just, I just love the story of Joseph. So here is some bitter irony. Jacob once deceived his father with his brother's clothing. Now he is deceived by his sons with Joseph's clothing. Isn't that amazing? Jacob's sorrow is intense and lengthy. Um, the slave trade was huge in Egypt. You can rest assured the Ishmaelites made money off Joseph. What they gave to the brothers was a pittance compared to what they received for Joseph in Egypt. And so verse 36 sets up the next event in Joseph's life. God is working 
It will be amazing to see how Joseph handles all of this. And I go to the last verse of the day that we will see again. Genesis 50, 20. When Joseph said to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. What an incredible story. And we are just really getting into it. So we'll pick up where we left off next Wednesday. And I hope to see you here. Father, thank you for the incredible, amazing story of Joseph. We can hardly wait to see how it all unfolds. And so I just pray that uh, you will bless us as we continue to study your word in the days before us. Thank you for all who come today. Bless each one. And I pray that uh, we will feast upon the word of God every day this week. And, and thank you for the way that as we do, you will speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you.